0: All right, welcome back to another installment of the StartWell podcast. I'm Kasim Ferji, the founder and CEO of StartWell, which is a company that essentially brings people together to create magic in technology and related fields here in Toronto, Canada. This is the 12th episode, Uh, if you're an avid listener of our podcast, you'll have uh, heard uh, from Karim Harji in the last episode uh, if you're new to us please do check that one out he's a uh, lecturer at Oxford University that does really cool stuff with impact investing and I highly recommend listening to that episode uh, today I'm in studio uh, on King Street with Marianne Bulger um, and I pronounced your name correctly yeah
1: yeah you did it's like the criminal,
0: what whitey, criminal?
1: whitey Bulger I think he actually just met his peril in prison.
0: Did he become a criminal because of his first name or his last name?
1: Hmm. I think he became a criminal because he was... Well, I actually don't know the answer to that. Who wants
0: to be called Whitey?
1: Can you imagine? I, well, it was William Bulger, and that oh. was actually my grandfather's name, so he ran into quite a bit of trouble at the border every Getting time. Getting
0: confused with the criminal. And they said, hey, Whitey. And he's like, I'm not white. And then it just got very confusing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, perhaps.
0: So if I have this correct, Marianne, uh, you lead people and culture uh, at uh, Golden Ventures.
1: People and platform,
0: actually. People and platform. Yeah. And uh, why don't we just jump into it? What does that entail? And Mm. who is Golden Ventures?
1: So Golden Ventures, I'll start there. It's a seed stage venture capital fund based here in Toronto, but investing across North America. We're currently in our third fund. We're sector agnostic, which is fun because it means we can invest across the board in any industry as long as the company is leveraging technology. Mm -hmm. It also allows us to divorce ourselves from being experts of everything and allowing founders to really step up and say, this is why I want to build this. This is why I want to change the world. And I'm the one to do it.
0: Yeah, no, this, it must be thrilling to have the freedom to be able to work with brilliant people doing awesome stuff. And passion, without the limitations of focusing on I don't know, like mobile apps or whatever
1: well, that's where Golden Ventures got its start. okay Matt Golden has a lot of wealth or a wealth of knowledge and a lot of experience in the mobile sector, yeah. and the same with um, one of our other partners, Amit Shah. They both came from that industry, and they both realized very quickly that their expertise in mobile was not. As important as the expertise of any founder that they were investing in right and it opened up the doors in our second fund and now in our third fund for us to invest in everything from quantum computing to aerospace to temporary tattoos to marketplaces for uh, restaurants and chefs it seems endless uh, the possibilities and it makes every partner meeting each week quite fun
0: <laughs> so uh, the team comprises of, uh, you, you mentioned the two early, I guess, are they both co-founders? or? Is, is no, so Matt... Matt's the
1: founder of the fund. Right. He's the managing partner. Yeah. We have Amit shaw who's a partner, uh, Bert Amato, who's a venture partner, and Jamie Rosenblatt, who's our principal, right. and then myself, who... Uh, operates in the people and platform realm, which is generally managing our post-investment strategy. Okay. So something that a lot of people don't think about in venture capital is after your investors write the check, what happens next? Um, Some people really just want the money and they want to run with it, but a, a lot of entrepreneurs and the smart entrepreneurs will realize that VC funds are more than just... Financial, or um, could be more than, or can, or could be more than just a financial benefit to them. There's right. a lot more to the network and the services that are provided. And so, what I try and do is amplify our impact on our portfolio and the ecosystem at large.
0: It's interesting because I, I mean, from my vantage, and it's tough talking about the industry because there, the, our industry is so tiny. I feel like the the venture capital industry, um, especially in terms of funds that aren't necessarily Um, let's say, attached to institutional LP money and that are running their own show, you Mm -hmm. know, with their name on the door. I think that's kind of interesting about Golden is, you know, Matt's name is very much on the door. Um, How does that change? Or I guess, how unique do you find yourselves uh, in being able to not only kind of um, direct the placement of funds that have been entrusted to the fund, uh, but uh, and, and the freedom to invest in companies like you said that maybe you know that you believe in that are not necessarily within uh, the investable uh, eye of other funds in the space in venture capital in Canada I guess let's start with that do you yeah, know Can good you question, Big question.
1: Uh, yeah I think it we do stick to our investment thesis and mm-hmm. what we've promised to our LPs yeah but that that scope has grown over time. Like I said, we moved from mobile to sector agnostic. And I remember when we first invested in Inkbox, the two-week temporary tattoo, okay. for example. For some people, that's not necessarily originally seen as innovative technology. But when you actually dig deeper into the evolution of the technology industry, um, does it really stand alone or is it something that's starting to span across every single sector right, of yeah. what we're doing? Great point. And so that is that is what has allowed us to really leverage our own expertise and what we're trying to accomplish um, to look beyond, our sec- as I said, our sector ec- expertise and to sort of say, we're here because we know how to build businesses, not because we know what's going on in outer space, right? Right. <laughs> or inside of a quantum computer. We trust right. the people that we invest in, and the seed stage is really critical with that. It it requires us to be far more hands-on than Series A or beyond or any growth stage investing.
0: Let's just define this uh, for any of our listeners unfamiliar with kind of the flow of capital in this story for early stage companies um seed for you guys is what size of check size
1: usually between 500 to just over a million
0: okay that varies all right um and then so the idea would be pre-seed which could be friends and family seed guys like you helping out uh and then series a and beyond
1: yeah we like to see it that see it as Seed is your first int- institutional investment. Right. Anything before that might be pulled together in different ways. And we've definitely seen pre-seed rounds done by institutional investors. Mm-hmm. But we ge- we generally, in terms of our own financials, like to be the first institutional investor. And we like to lead rounds, which means that we want to bring together, we want to support you the most. Mm-hmm. And we want to bring together the right syndicate of partners that all come to the table with different skills Um, that we might not have that allow you to grow. That's particular to us within the Canadian market. It's hard for us to lead around in L.A. or San Francisco if if we're not physically there to support you with the day-to-day. But we have done so before where we see such strong alignment with what's already going on in our fund and the entrepreneurs that are within it. And we have strong conviction with the companies.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, Um, especially taking the leader role, which means, you know, you're finding you're forging those relationships. And a lot of people that I've met, and again, a lot means just a few (laughs) for listeners all over the world, but in the Canadian venture capital industry, there's a lot of piggybacking and kind of like the same deals being passed around tables. Totally. But yet what we're seeing, and I'll tell you this from our lens, is is, a place where people come uh, to build whatever they're building. And we're now turning the tide of going from direct to indirect or uh, or outbound to inbound sales for attracting new members at StartWell. But literally for the first year, it was like me reaching out through my network and cold calling people and saying, hey, come bring your awesome tech here. You need to start something here, hmm. which is very different than other people in our industry, which is interesting because I had no marketing budget to start with. You know, This is a bootstrapped enterprise. so um, So it's interesting. But now we're at a point where I guess we can rely a little bit on the inbound so we had inbound since day one but i just never relied on it for a year because i had bills to pay Mm -hmm. uh what's interesting though is that organic growth in that inbound is not or did not did not originally and has not consistently fit within my personal expectations of the types of companies or the companies that i know who would come knocking for space it's very interesting What I've seen in just this year of growth of our, uh, you know, technology sector in Toronto is that every single day there's multiple, multiple companies that are brand new, but with traction, whether it's, you know, revenues already kind of like figured out and that's why they created the company, you know, pre-sold the idea to someone, got some customers to validate it for themselves to jump into the project. Um, or whatever else, so really strong, interesting potential for or pre-stage, c stage, uh, and and it's not like it was two, three, four, five years ago in Toronto at all.
1: Totally, I think it's a great indicator that Canadians are graduating from university equipped with an understanding of what it takes to start a business, no matter what they graduated with. I think prior to perhaps even around two thousand and ten. Most people didn't even know that they could start a startup or what 100%. that realm was. And in less than eight years, we've rapidly evolved into this space where anyone can really come out of university and believe that they have an idea based on their expertise to start a business and run with it. And I mean, that j- truly just didn't exist. I remember graduating from university and I had no idea that this career was possible for me. What I ended did you up, study at school? Oh, it's complex. I <laughs> yeah, I did an undergraduate in criminology. Okay. And a master's in human rights and international justice.
0: What school is that? Uh
1: at the University of York in the UK. Uh which is ah. a, right in the heart of uh the UK between Edinburgh and London. Okay. A place that not many people know about it, but it's one of the top 10 universities in the United Kingdom. It also was the hub for studying transitional justice and post-conflict recovery, which is what I thought I was going to do with my career. But I evidently ended up back in Canada, completely broke after studying in the UK yeah. <laughs> and worked for a few nonprofits for a couple of years and actually became really jaded by that industry And it happened when I started in my master's and really learning the paperwork process to make change happen in human rights. Mm -hmm. Coming back here and uh, learning more and immersing myself in the nonprofit industry really quickly revealed that it was a slow-moving beast covered in red tape. And it was when I was in between a few jobs um, in about 2012 that... I kind of came to the reckoning that I was looking for a faster paced environment. And mm. if non- the nonprofit sector is covered in red tape, I wanted to know where everyone was running with scissors.
0: Okay. And... Running with scissors. Oh, my God. We're retitling this podcast.
1: <laughs> but it's, it's true. This is, this is what the tech industry is built on. People taking huge risks, perhaps prior to the moment that they're even ready to do so. And seeing the change in the world that others might not see and yep. and trying to make that happen. And so I remember um, being offered a dream job in the nonprofit sector the same day that I was offered a job at the DMZ at Ryerson under okay. Val Fox's leadership uh, back in 2013. And I took the part-time content marketing role at the DMZ because I couldn't believe that they would pay me to do something that I had no business doing. And,
0: and the environment I, was so exciting, right?
1: Yeah. And within a couple months, uh, I just knew I was never going to look back.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. That's very interesting. Can, yeah. I, can I ask what the role that you would have taken, what door number two was?
1: Yeah. Uh, it. What's so interesting is that it... Is now led by one of the first people to hire me in the nonprofit sector here in Toronto. Okay. Robert Witchell. Uh, it was the Jays Care Foundation. So, as a baseball fan, okay. I couldn't believe I was turning down a job With the Jays, to work yeah. for the Blue Jays in the field that I had studied in. Um, but I just knew that I needed to take a big risk and see why everyone was talking about tech and what was going on there. And it was amazing to spend time at the DMZ, particularly with Val Fox, because she had started and scaled the space. Mm-hmm. And obviously, work, starting your career working for a woman in tech is a pretty special way to begin, because right. it's a rare thing to find.
0: And uh, so post-DMZ, or you were at the DMZ for how long?
1: Just over two years.
0: Okay. And then uh, what's what's happened since that brought you to Golden?
1: Oh, yeah. So while I was at the DMZ, I co-founded a small meetup called Tech Toronto. Okay. And it started as a small meetup. And we quickly were able to design something that that filled a gap in the industry and provided entrepreneurs and innovation-minded individuals across sectors a space to come together and learn best practices in building business. Yep. And also a space that allowed anyone to get something out of it. And that's why I introduced Community Open Mic and the uh, Community Share, like the Community Announcements Program. Mm -hmm. And in that time, um, it grew from 35 attendees to 100 attendees to 200 attendees to 600 attendees. And so when I left the DMZ, I knew I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen next. But within a few months, I took on scaling Tech Toronto full-time and built the brands around Tech Vancouver, Tech Waterloo, Sales TO, Health TO, FinTech TO, and grew out those programs, which was fantastic. But I also knew in that time that building events and hosting events wasn't the only thing I wanted to focus on, and that I came to the community with an arsenal uh, of information around what it takes to build a community both in person as well as structurally and lay the foundation. And so I actually ended up joining a startup in San Francisco right around the time that Trump was elected.
0: Okay. Which is weird to think back that that was a while ago. Isn't that weird?
1: Thank God. I mean it just means we it's just closer passed, to the end. We just passed the midterms, so yeah. it really means that we're halfway.
0: Oh my god. In
1: my mind, or I really hope we're halfway. Yeah. And I'm really proud of our American counterparts. No matter what these midterms have shown, there's definitely progress that has been made. Right. And especially with women in leadership positions, which is really cool. And so I joined the to, to finish this thought, I joined the startup in San Francisco and it was short-lived because I was supposed to move there and we were I was just about to do it It was within weeks and they said actually we're going to open an office in Washington DC and we want you to go there interesting and I don't know what it was but I just decided I couldn't be anywhere close to Donald Trump
0: (laughs) wrong place wrong time wrong
1: place wrong time and so I stayed here and that's when I ended up joining Golden Ventures
0: that's awesome and, uh, yeah, I think you chose the right thing.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's undeniable to me that what's going on in the Canadian tech industry right now is profound. It is, and right? We're... Do you
0: feel that, that every day, I mean, this is what we feel here, is it's not, I think we went through a few years of shtick in the industry where there there were a lot of people kind of like talking it up. Um, you know, my personal take coming from technology as a technologist, uh, you know, in the early days of like, like what you were able to, uh, to achieve with Tech Toronto, with TechTO, right? TechTO, that's mm-hmm. what people call it. Um, if you juxtapose it with, I don't know, has it been 10 years since demo camp? Mm-hmm. Those early days where we had like 50 people in a room and that was like the tech scene. It, it's know. crazy what's happened in the last decade. But in the last, let's say, up until two years, three years ago, even, there were a lot of people kind of like comparing us to Silicon Valley. It still happens. And there's that whole thing of like, you know, Canadians wanting to have platform and, and, and especially in Toronto, you know, like really wanting to run towards the microphone uh, and shout out that like there's something here. Um, but now it's really interesting. I don't know. I think there is something here and there's it's not about the place. It's, it's about what the place affords people. Mm-hmm. and being in community uh I, I feel very excited by that
1: well that's why i built prospect recently we launched this uh brand and platform uh that's called prospect you can find it at prospect.fyi not prospect fly or <laughs>
0: Prospectify. (laughs)
1: Or Prospectify. I think I'm
0: dyslexic. That's what I read when I saw it the other day. And I was typing in the wrong URL and wondering what was happening.
1: You know what? For me, at the end of the day, it's not about the strength of the brand. It's about the strength of the product. And what it is, is a definitive career hub for the Canadian tech industry. We've leveraged a software uh, called Monday, monday Monday.vc. Also, not to be confused with Monday.com.
0: Which is a productivity suite?
1: Yeah, it's a product management software. But uh, Prospect is... an Aggregator that pulls jobs from across the Canadian tech industry all into one place and we pull the career the Job postings from career pages at any startup in Canada all into one place Companies don't need to do anything as long as they have a career page and it can be on their website It can be on AngelList. It can be on Glassdoor wherever it might exist and we pull it all in. Right now, we have about 360 companies listed from coast to coast. But I do know that that's only a fraction right,
0: of what's actually what the positions are that are actually being hired for.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's only a fraction of the companies that are represented. And right. to your point, what's happening here at Startwell, you're starting to see that Entrepreneurs are emerging from every single industry leveraging technology to change the way that people are doing things. Absolutely. And so, although we're used to looking in incubators and accelerators and VC funds for indicators of new technology, that's not, that's only a piece of the puzzle. Right. And so, I'm hoping that what Prospect can accomplish is not only providing job seekers with finally, one place to look for jobs. Mm -hmm. But also with job seekers globally, uh, we want to give them a picture of what's happening in Canada, not to just stand on a pedestal and say everything here is amazing, but to say it is amazing here and look, you can see it. There's a diversity of opportunities available to anyone, whether they're in the tech sector now or not. And that's part of what makes TechTO such a strong contribution to not only Toronto but also all of the branches that they're building out is that they are actually seeing a huge representation of people outside of the tech industry coming in and sort of expressing their curiosity for entering this space and that's amazing. Pulling people out of big banks into the tech space is is fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah it's really interesting you know like I spent uh as with many, I'm sure, of our listeners and a bunch of people living in this building, uh, it just seems the numbers point in this direction no matter what. But uh, I spent a little bit of time at IBM, you mm-hmm. know, and people have done, many people that I talk to when I say that have done uh, in different roles, you know, which in in many ways I think is like the uh, the quintessential, you know, corporation, the capital C, right? 400,000 people um, spread across the world on like 500-person calls, every day uh, just stapling and you know passing paper around Uh, and it's so funny because if you look at that size of workforce and it's not just talking about one company but we talk about what historically in uh, much of the world for the last I don't know what 30 years has been the aspirational uh, goal of most people looking for a quote-unquote career capital C career is hire with or get hired by a massive corporation if it's publicly publicly traded that's even better because you know it's going to have some sort of constant ever increasing success trajectory um, that whole old way of thinking about your life being in the hands of a company that you somehow help uh, you know sustain you and your fellow thousands of brethren has collapsed i believe it's collapsed totally um the markets are virtual and people want satisfaction and those two things together uh inevitably will see an increasing diversity in, in entrepreneurialism and an ever-increasing um spirit i think globally of um, self-determination that drives that want to create opportunity for people and their families and their selves and their people that are around them and uh and i really feel strongly that like this time in tech is uh really also poignant because kind of what you alluded to is we're moving past capital t tech it's pervasive there isn't it's not and you know I, I, so many people in in mass media and you know politicians will use these words that i feel are redundant uh to try and express you know their understanding of of really Of what things are all about but but they're behind the curve i think yeah i mean technology is integrated into everything for the most part that we do and industries are if not um, embracing of new technology and innovation um, they're they're going to be dying
1: i like what you said about diversifying the representation in the industry i wonder if we're able to see that as people that are immersed in it that It is such a huge issue still. Even though we are claiming to be the biggest change makers in the world, there is still a huge lack of diversity in the tech industry. And if you actually separate the two, there's a huge uh, void in a lot of people feeling included in -hmm. the industry as well. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think, could be a whole other podcast topic. But I... I think that it's important for us as um, leaders in this industry to think outside the box and to assume that technology is now so pervasive that anyone can really step up to the plate and make change happen leveraging tech. They don't need to be an engineer. They don't need to come with a business background.
0: 100%. And, you know, it's interesting because... You're right. I mean, that that topic is definitely fodder for not just a single podcast, but a series. You know, (laughs) it should pervade every conversation, I think. But um, some of our partnerships are really interesting. You see a sticker on my laptop there for Crypto Chicks. Hmm. Uh, You know, that's just one interesting uh, partnership that we have. It's a group of people that against all, you know, kind of, I don't know, aesthetics uh, that you see represented even from like just photos of attendees at events, you know, in the blockchain crypto space. Yeah. A lot of nerdy, you know, like people that look like Vitalik, you know, what Ethereum mm-hmm. founder is it? Yeah. Uh, you know, white guys with glasses or whatever and pimples all over their face. Um, maybe that's cleared up for him now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you uh, see a lot of these people and it's funny because there's a lot of others that are, that are challenging that and the need for that aesthetic and, People dig cool stuff, and those people are of all backgrounds, and it's high time that, you know... um
1: We're all weird. Yeah. <laughs> We're all a bunch of weirdos, and it's yeah. deeply discomforting to see someone yeah. on stage that represents a cookie cutter. Totally. It's so much more reassuring to not only see, but to hear from someone that can speak so honestly and represent themselves exactly as who they are.
0: Yeah, and I feel like... There's a lot of potential um, for those stories to emerge from uh, what we're seeing is this really energetic time in Toronto, in mm-hmm. the quote-unquote tech, I'll just say in in a you know entrepreneurial stuff going on in Toronto, because um, so many different types of people from so many different backgrounds live in this city and are uh, and are entrepreneurial and creating things, and I think it's interesting having this conversation with you, especially with what your you know uh, position is with golden ventures as a venture capital firm and particularly looking at um i really at a whole bunch of other issues to do i guess to the ancillary necessarily uh, that for your fund uh to simply writing the checks right um it's interesting that you guys spend attention uh and possibly money or whatever else whatever resources to look at the 360 of what an investment is and also how um, companies can successfully be sustainable in their growth, because sustainability, at least to me, requires more than just capital and linear growth trajectories uh, along yeah. a profit line.
1: One of the most important things I've learned in observing this industry, and particularly why we invest, it's that it goes beyond the metrics. And what we see when we invest is the potential in individuals and a team to go from five people to 10 to 30 to 50 to 200 and if we can't see the potential of a leader to grow and evolve and learn and actually be able to lead a team of 10 20 and beyond Mm -hmm, we won't invest you could have the best idea strong metrics but if you're sitting at the table and we do not see your ability to grow, we won't write the check. And that is fascinating to me. That's a very arbitrary piece to the math of investment. But it is, especially at that stage, early on in the life cycle of a company, it's one of the most important pieces. And we've all seen it before. We've observed entrepreneurs with really big egos who Mm -hmm. come into the ecosystem and talk to big game and fallen on their face. And, you know, it's in Canadian nature to actually pick that person back up. And we've done it several times. And I think that's great. But um, from an investment standpoint, it's important from the get-go. And I'm really proud of all of the founders that we have in our portfolio. And not just them, all of the teams that that they build. One of my biggest gripes with this industry is that we keep putting... Founders on stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Time and time again, every yeah.
1: event you go to, the only person that's on stage is a CEO right. or CTO, someone who has actually co founded the company. With... Yeah, um, That's why I rarely get any FaceTime, truly, because <laughs> nobody really asks me because I'm not, I don't carry that title, but it's, I think, one of the the biggest misses and one of the greatest opportunities is to start to recognize that senior level talent that has so much to share
0: or talent from any, it's not, I feel like, I don't know. I try and, and create this kind of like a flat, you know, hierarchy. It's kind of an oxymoron, but uh, at Startwell, you know, like everyone has um, a lot of carte blanche on our team to do stuff. And, and I encourage people to just like go do what, what makes you happy every day? Just go do it. You know, do it and make sure you're you're killing it, you know, uh, so that we can all and and if you if you're not and we can help you, let's all help each other and like do some awesome neat things. Uh, And we try to affect that culture with the companies that work here as well. And on stage when we're doing our kind of like Thursday speaker series that we do, we've had, uh, you know, CTOs talk about what their fascination with natural language understanding NLU is, We've had people talk about, you know, impact investing, not from a perspective of leading a fund, even though like Kareem, who was on the last podcast, he's a partner in a fund, but he's not the front runner talking about it. He's a like, the, I guess, self-professed kind of like, um, I don't know, he, he, he likes, he's basically a researcher who's come up with means of assessing sustainability for investments based on um Culture and based on cultural relevance hmm. uh, and approach to market. And, uh, you know, all sorts of people that have, I guess, the idea is that if brilliant people are creating teams that will all work at their best in innovating, and it's not this sort of thing of like the founders are brilliant, created this vision for software, and everyone else were the worker bees that held them up. And instead, all your worker bees are all individually brilliant people pushing all angles of your business in the right direction there are stories that are there should be thousands of stories for and it's endless and yeah. we keep
1: wondering why oh, we're not seeing enough women on stage i mean you there know, yeah. are already a not enough women in leadership roles yeah but if we really do want to be part of that change uh, we need to reframe how we're defining expertise yeah. and experience yeah and start to make some of the speakers on stage relatable. Right. To, th- to the general audience. And it reminded me when you were speaking about that, it reminded me of uh, a lecture series that someone else started a long time ago that I haven't seen in Toronto in a long time called The Last Lecture. Hmm. I wonder what would happen if we started this last lecture series and asked leaders from across the industry to come on stage and speak about whatever they want.
0: Right. Not, might... Don't pitch us on your uh pr crap and yeah we also don't care if
1: you speak about technology at all you could talk about magic and we'd be thrilled about that yeah
0: (laughs) yeah no i definitely encourage that i'd love to host that let's do it
1: let's do it yeah (laughs) okay we're we're done now we're gonna go and start (laughs) this lecture series
0: it's funny it's something that used to happen uh, it's not it's kind of similar but at um in the david crow demo camp days there was, uh, there was always one deck. So it was mainly pitches, right? We'd have people pitch their thing. And their thing often was just some geeky tech that they were working on. It wasn't a company. It wasn't the startup thing. It was like, I'm working. I'm using PHP to create this software that will turn this thing into a blue thing. And everyone's like, "Yeah, interesting. And we were really just celebrating technology. Mm-hmm. And then there would always be a deck that's like a random deck. So someone would create a, a deck about anything. And it could be literally like donuts. And someone had to present it and they've never seen it before.
1: Oh, that's funny.
0: Yeah, it was really interesting. Part of it was like, here, let's see how, you know, how hilarious this would be.
1: Sounds and, like debate class from grade right? five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. This is your position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm all for the real being represented on stage. Um, and also, you know, this comes back for me to redefining or, or people needing to pull back the whatever patina of. Uh, I can't even use this. I used to use Kanye West, you know, a lot as a reference point to talk about, you know, silly showmanship. And now he's just taking it too far.
1: Yeah. Hard example.
0: Taking it too far. Fuck Kanye West. There, I said it. Yeah. Um, But the thing is. That might get edited out. (laughs) No, no, no. I said it. I'll hold on to that.
1: Well, I mean, one thing I want to say, though, is if you are a founder and you're listening to this, one of the best ways to and you're trying to most of you are probably trying to hire one of the best ways to do so when you get asked to speak at uh, anywhere, if you believe that there's someone on your team that can do that better, because. Oh, yeah. That's also a testament to the fact that you're hiring properly. You should always be hiring people that are smarter than you put them on stage, they will sell your company better than you can, and they will attract more talent to your company. Same thing when it comes to writing pieces or being represented in the media. If you think there's someone on your team that demonstrates leadership on that subject, let them speak to that. And I can say confidently that that's what uh, Alan Lau has been able to do with Wattpad. He always points to his team and says, these are the experts, I'm going to introduce you to this person, and it's allowed them to really scale their team a in a way that allowed is. Them?
0: Alan Loud, oh. sorry.
1: <laughs> I bet he's heard that before, yeah. but I may ask him. It's, it has allowed them to scale their team organically in a way that has, I, I just haven't seen it done anywhere else.
0: And this to me at least, you know, like look, I've been an entrepreneur who's, who's hustled, who's hu- like I'm a hustler. I'm that guy who says, no this, kidding. Is, this is some cool thing I could sell. And, you know, the transaction's exciting, you know, and what I'm selling is really cool. And that relational value is really exciting and fun. And I've sold stuff in Africa, in India, you know, in uh, Canada and the States. I've worked all over the world, right? So for me, entrepreneurialism is very much a way of life. And it it's not about this, like, a lot of people that are maybe first-time entrepreneurs starting something in technology and get swept up, to in, it, up into this, like, Silicon Valley uh, emulation mode and funding cycle, uh, perspective of looking for the glory of the you know Jay Z lifestyle boats and and uh, and bliss you know uh, down the line with their Series D and potential IPO, that whole narrative I think is now. Do you think people are still buying into that? You know, I, I and just it's I'm wondering
1: if you actually did the stats on this. If anyone set that as their goal and actually reached it, because most entrepreneurs Derek Fung, yeah. <laughs> right. I think most <laughs> entrepreneurs who set that goal yeah. fall again fall flat on their face. It's a similar it's the similar ego play. Yeah, 100%. If you're not building for the sake of
0: building yeah, and fulfillment creating, in the process, yeah, uh,
1: you're not you're building for nothing.
0: Yeah, there we said it. Um so if you're listening and you're creating a company for the first time, really t- I like this exercise. Um look in the mirror, you know, and be honest with yourself. In fact, there's a if, if anyone listening is interested in this, drop by uh, our concierge at Startwell King West, 786 King Street West in Toronto, and ask for what we call the Founder Deck. It's a deck of cards, 70 questions, that uh, you can have it for free. And you just basically, you play it with yourself or your team. And it's brilliant because they're hard questions that you should be able to answer. I believe you should. I tested it with a bunch of uh, investors and friends and founders that I know when I created this deck, and you ask yourself a question at random, and you should be able to naturally answer that thing if you have mastery over what you're um, set out to do, and uh, and I think that that's part of the process. You know, as you um, feel uh, more fulfillment and empowerment in your position as an entrepreneur, it's really because you've got uh, the ability to make quick decisions that you believe in to do with. Whatever your business requires, and you
1: don't you don't just have a yacht popping into your exactly. mind exactly every time you're asked a question. Yeah,
0: because false motivations will lead to frustration, lack of satisfaction, uh, anger, and all of this horrible stuff that like no one needs in their life, you know. Um, and if it's just a cash grab, the funny thing is, you know, it's just like I take a step back and I've, I've talked, I've cracked jokes actually with a bunch of people that I know in, in venture capital in Canada about this. Um, and the pecking order of the financial world, right? So you have a lot of people in venture capital that, for some reason, also have this sort of weird um, view on writing checks and the potential hundred x return, and how a management fee might, you know, buy them their yacht or their second house or their cabin in Muskoka that now costs five thousand, five million dollars these days. I don't know; it doesn't make sense. Um, and what's laughable about that is the check size that people write, the potential, the really low, low potential for making ridiculous gains. And at the same time, um, if you're really into only just making multiples, venture capital is the beginning of the financial industry. You can make a lot more money putting up a dam in, (laughs) you know, in Zimbabwe or, you know, uh, helping the Chinese build the Silk Road again and put up, you know, mobile uh, infrastructure for 5G somewhere. So there are places to make a lot of money if that's what you want to do. And those motivations are a little bit unwarranted if um, if that's all that's in front of you and uh, and you're not really making billions, you know?
1: Yeah, I I think some people gla- uh, glamorize the venture capital space and it is not that glamorous. There, tell, is... it, tell
0: us some aspects <laughs> of what's not glamorous in the venture capital space.
1: It's hard work when you raise a fund, you're not done. Right. If you raise your first fund, that's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. You have to then demonstrate your, your value in the companies you're investing in. And that takes time. You invest and sometimes you have to wait 10 years for any return. Right. And so we see this often where funds start and end after their first fund. I... Was fortunate to join as this third fund was closing. This is
0: recently? When was... When we did
1: closed the... our third fund in May of 2018. Okay. All right. So what I, what I realized and what I respect about Golden is that I can see that when Matt raised his first fund, he didn't just hire 20 people and assume he'd made it right. and that everyone else could do the work. He has really grown slowly in terms of the team and very intentionally and is very conscious about the money that he's raised and where it's going. And that means also that even though we're a seed stage fund and there are other seed stage funds in Canada, we are fundamentally different in different ways because we only invest in up to 25 companies per fund. Okay whereas others will raise the same amount and perhaps invest smaller checks across the board. Right. But it comes back to that point we were talking about, that for us, it's what we do after we write the check is far more important than the check itself. Sure.
0: It is very interesting. You know, I know a lot of um, people that have invested into Canada's venture capital funds, right? LPs, limited partners. And um, the LP expectation on return of their capital is, you know, and it's not even a hard expectation. It's just like, this would be lovely if we could get this. Um, Because normally the checks into venture capital funds don't need to prove. There, that's another truth that people don't understand. If it's not institutional money coming from the government distributary, it's not your tax money being spent somehow, um, LP money into a venture capital fund is a nice-to-have return investment. Um, It's low-priority money. People that put it into venture capital... Don't really have particular faith in technology for the most part. It's a bet; they're betting on technology, and if they lose their money, they don't care. Um, that's been my experience, and <laughs> maybe not entirely. Well, but... it depends. It depends on the commitment to a fund, and if it's personal money going in. I know a lot of people that are writing yeah. millions of dollars in venture capital funds, and um, they're in. You know, how they made their money is raw material extraction. And uh, this is, you know, a couple million dollars into a fund is nothing.
1: Yeah, but one of the biggest mistakes you can make in venture capital is, is betting. And only putting your money in because you're willing to bet. Because... It's so such a volatile industry. Anything yeah. can happen, even the best companies with the with the strongest metrics and a great team. Yeah, can... You're talking
0: on the fund disbursement side, on the yeah. venture capital fund side. But even totally. those that are
1: investing in our fund, yeah. it was fascinating. So we were in this third fund. We brought in um, Sandana and Foundry Group Next, yeah. both of which are U.S. Uh, fund of funds that had never invested in Canada before. Yeah. From my perspective, it was really amazing when they came to visit for the first time and we toured them around the Toronto tech ecosystem Toronto and Waterloo and they were amazed their choice to invest in us goes far beyond just the the money and the bet right. they were betting on our team as well and sure. there was a lot of time we spent with them but as an aside one of the most interesting things they said to us is there's just no way that this is this industry, or this ecosystem is collaborative as you say it is people really work together that much. People really support each other that much. And it took a lot to convince them, although they may not may still not be convinced, yeah. but they were amazed that what was going on in Toronto uh, represented something that they perhaps had never seen before. Right. That we really do collectively believe, believe that together we're much better and stronger yeah. and that we collectively want to make this a global tech hub. Right that isn't Silicon Valley 2.0. Well, yeah, I mean, this
0: is the thing, right? Um, Counterbalancing the increasing pressures on our culture in Canada of mass media that's produced in the States and the lovely stories of, uh, you know, the crumbling political uh, arena there, um, I think is the Canadian will and the Canadian experience. People kind of underwrite, I think, especially in the big city, in the big smoke, they underwrite the cultural heritage of um, Canada as a country and the fact that in the last few generations, frontiers people were Canadians. We were all people that you needed to band together, you're not going to eat this winter. So that culture has been passed down, and I think the seasonality that we experience um, through the year and our embrace of winter um, kind of adds to keeping that culture alive. So for sure, I I believe that we have a community here that... um, helps uh, the success of its participants.
1: But we also have a long way to go. Yeah. And I think one thing that we have a hard time with is admitting our faults and really putting them on the table and recognizing them together. But I I should say that I find it very funny that the U.S. claims to be the leader of the free world I think we're just sort of sitting up here saying, "Really?"
0: (laughs) So (laughs) the free the free world doesn't need a leader, regardless. The statement, you know, is so false. Absolutely. If you're free, then you're free. Um, Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to be said about that positioning. Again, we'll leave we'll leave a lot of that for uh, for a you know a second edition of this or another discussion. I think though, there's one note that I just want to pull back uh, that I didn't finish on, which is in talking about lp expectations and particularly um let's call it uh personal uh wealth going into funds the point i was making was that the expected return at best is 3 to 5x on money totally and a lot of you know the people that i said who are chasing perhaps this kind of like the great goal of return for their fund as operators of a venture capital fund uh, the 100x plus mm-hmm. dreams the unicorn or um you know yeah unicorn dreams are basically um discordant with the LP expectations because a lot of people running small funds are on close to zero management fees and for the people mm-hmm. listening that don't know anything about venture capital the the idea here is that people who are creating businesses as venture capital funds um Hope to make money for themselves, aside from the little bit that they might pay themselves as salary for doing the day-to-day grind of finding deals, writing checks, liaising with the lawyers and all of this stuff, um, maybe not even doing the wonderful community work that, that you guys do um, and the diligence that is really r- relationship formation. Um, they instead, in the lean kind of uh, maybe slightly douchey VC model, is They go out, they get a bunch of money from people, and they say, Hey, we'll make returns on this money, and we'll only get paid on the actual upside. So, if our, you know, placed funds for you, your money placed into these companies, if it turns profit, you owe us some of that profit. And then they run so lean that they, day to day, don't even have money for rent. It's weird because it's come up with us. A few VC firms have come to us with like, a willingness to pay a 10th of what our market rate is for desk space. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you, you have $50 million to spread around the, you know, how do you not have any money to pay rent? How can you well place those funds when you can't eat yourself? And uh, and then th- that's where this hope and dream for this ridiculous multiple comes from in some ways. Uh, you know, and, and again, silly deals get done. And then the, the push on companies that they invest in is very different than it's like, how can we help you be better at what you're doing? It's like you need to get to the next round of finance and then the next round so we can get out, especially if it's pre-seed, seed-level investment. They want to get out before the IPO.
1: That's why venture money is not for everyone. Yeah. And it's important to... for anyone listening who's thinking about raising money to know that if you raise venture money, that's not more impressive than finding other revenue sources. 100%. If it doesn't fit your business model, you you could kill your business by taking venture money because that is the expectation. So not every company is venture scale. But I do hear you on the the lean model, but I've also seen it done the other way. I've right. seen... Some funds with huge management fees are set aside and they expand so, so quickly with their team, but there's not necessarily that value add. Mm -hmm. But you can also see why we spend so much time investing in our founders and their teams after we write the check because we've made this investment and we need to see them succeed.
0: Well, and, you know, it's very interesting, but I think a lot of um, companies that take venture capital money, especially early on, you know, in the 10 to 20 staff realm are looking for quality advice and feedback. Yes. And when you're running at a mile a minute, if you're running with scissors, as you said, um, and you're not looking at the sharp point and you're ignoring the fact that they're in your hand, you don't have time to wait for feedback from your, um, you know, investor pals at board meetings. That might be once a quarter. Once a quarter feels like, once a decade. And so it's really important that the relationships you form uh, as a founder or as the leading team of an enterprise, uh, I believe, should be relationships that you value, that offer you more than just a single purpose, um, and that are opportunistic in a holistic sense. Um, so if you're able to take capital, if you need capital from a fund. That is saying what you're saying, which is, you know, we don't just want to give you money. We want to help you. So how can we help you? And we'll figure that out. And it's beyond our investment. It's for the future of your company that we're interested in seeing success for you. That's a wonderful thing.
1: Totally. (laughs) So we just ended there. (laughs) No, you said it perfectly. (laughs) And it just the wheels were turning in my head as I remember so many moments in which we've had highs and lows with our founders right the other important thing is that you are bringing people onto your cap table that can experience that with you that volatility because nothing is perfect always or you're not always going to see upward trajectory and you need to be able to go to those those investors with tough questions and they need to be able to help you answer them we've seen I mean, I've witnessed really, really difficult moments. And one of the things that I respect so much in our team is their ability to put their heads down when the going gets tough and to really support those companies no matter what. Because again, at the end of the day, these are our investments. We can't divorce ourselves from them. Mm -hmm. And all we can do is really try and help them based on our experience with other companies and professionally within our own world. And that's the thing you need to look for. And those are some of the questions you need to ask. You're not just there to pitch right. an investor. and sell
0: them on the wonderful story of how you're going to make so much money for everybody.
1: Yeah, and yeah. there are people that operate within Maya Function actually across the world. A, platform, a head of platform or any platform leader at a VC fund is actually a really rare title here in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. But there are, are hundreds of people around the world, and it's becoming one of the more popular roles to add to your fund, because it's someone that sits between a variety of different functions and can really look at the value-add services that you're providing and to amplify them. And so that could mean anything. Mm. And for me, that's been really exciting because I can do what I do best, which is try everything and learn on the fly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also support our entrepreneurs by connecting them with subject matter experts even outside of our fund
0: and that's a very powerful thing that's one of the things that we do for all of our companies here is like an unpaid for you know uh gratitude for for companies participating in the story of being members at Startwell is it's funny it's something i don't talk about too often it's not on our website we're just you know on paper we're a co-working uh, venue Mm -hmm. but every single day the introductions that we make for some of our companies uh, will provide them with opportunities to not only realize great profit, but um, grow in any kind of way. And we've seen it, right? Like every company here has grown by a factor of uh, at least 30% uh, every six months in terms of their own team size. Uh, they're upgrading offices, and that's something we're very flexible on. And it's really, really interesting. A lot of opportunity just comes from the right connectivity.
1: What you're building here is fascinating. If you surround yourself with the same people doing the same thing all the time, cough, cough, <laughs> San Francisco, yeah, right. <laughs> you live in a vacuum and you wonder why you can't find the inspiration or the answers. When you start to involve yourself in physical spaces and communities that inspire you and teach you new things, your business will grow in return. It was one thing that I learned in doing Seth Godin's Alt MBA program.
0: Oh, interesting. I didn't know you did that. Okay.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And I recommend anyone who is looking for that creative edge, who really needs to take an idea to the next level, in particular, take an idea, build it and ship it. It's a fantastic program, okay. but what's so neat about it is that it's not just tech people or growth people that are taking that course. Mm. You meet people from all walks of life who are working on all sorts of things, composing their first symphony and you know, transforming the banking model as we know it, um, and you know, writing a book, you just never know. And they can teach you. They can give you feedback on your ideas and the projects you're working on that you never thought possible. And that's exactly what I see in spaces like
0: Startwell. Right.
1: You're sitting next to someone that you never even knew would give you the idea that you need, uh, that you might be blocked on with your business.
0: Oh, for sure. Just by asking them
1: and getting to know them.
0: Right. Yeah. And absolutely. And us, that's what's so fulfilling about playing the role of providing the space is that we kind of are the hands in the background that are putting those people together. <laughs>
1: the puppeteers. Oh, we're
0: the puppeteers. Absolutely. And it's it's gotten to a point where it's ad hoc and it's fun. Like we have formal programs where we'll sit down with companies and you know regularly and say, okay, well, what, what do you need? And here's what we think you need and, and make introductions. But it's literally like people come in and I bring people in for conversations like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you have to meet this person and that person. And those meetings take off, and it is it is really wonderful. Um, but absolutely, community is at the core of it. And uh, whether it's a microcosm in a physical space like this, or the larger community that we might you know, often talk about at events and generally in this city, um, and the, the reasons for people coming together are... are... Yeah.
1: This is why I go to Burning Man every year. Mm-hmm. The people I've met within my community there, both at my camp and beyond are absolutely incredible and they inspire me every single day because they're not doing what I'm doing but they have great insight into what I'm trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. and uh, and it just it just gives you an entirely new frame on the world I could talk about Burning Man for a while but
0: that's actually you know what if you're down for it I'd love to do a podcast all about Burning Man and bring a few burners around the table
1: Oh, that would be really fun. We should do it. We'll do it soon. Because also one thing that I've noticed in attending Burning Man is that some of my... uh, And this is, I should say, not the explicit purpose of Burning Man, but some of my best networking happens there. Because I run into people that I'm usually meeting over, you know, cardboard pizza and shitty beer at at a meetup. Yeah. And I run into them on the playa, as they call it.
0: Yeah.
1: And... In that moment you just know that you've both come to this space to find something similar and it goes beyond just your work it goes into your spirituality and into creativity and building beyond profession Mm -hmm. that it's made it so much easier to build strong relationships with those people in the professional world and also create things together professionally that perhaps were never possible and so go outside of meetups in the tech industry attend meetups, go to art gallery openings, try new things in the city, you're going to meet people that you never thought you would meet. Absolutely.
0: I think that's great advice. I mean, the the myopia that we've seen in other tech quote-unquote technology ecosystems around the world uh, that, that can become problematic for people because they feel trapped in whatever their headspace is, is uh, contextual. Seek inspiration.
1: This is why it's. It seems to be very trendy in the tech industry to go into improv. But it is right. It's not the only thing we have you a can lot do. of consultants
0: that come to us and say we want to introduce improv to your companies.
1: I think it it gives people a certain level of confidence and allows them to become better public speakers. And sure. Presenters. It it eliminates a little bit of stage fright, but there is so much you can do to expand your horizon creatively. Right. And meet new people. So, I don't know. It's not the only thing. I haven't taken an improv class so far. I think I'm doing pretty
0: good. But... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can riff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great advice. And honestly, I think we'll leave it here for now. But we'll uh, we'll definitely get that Playa reconvention together.
1: That sounds good. It'll it's be a fun. great place to leave it. Maybe we'll have to do it at Burning Man next year.
0: Oh, my God. That'd be fantastic. I keep saying every year. I keep saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And it's then, always you know, there. Yeah.
1: It's just waiting for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we had a we had a young child in the last few months, so this year it didn't happen. But, you know, maybe we'll bring Ava next year.
1: There are lots of babies and children at Burning Man. Yeah. That's a whole can of worms that we don't have time for. <laughs> but people should know that it's a family-friendly space. It's awesome. for everyone.
0: Awesome. Any other closing notes? Let's, let's throw out a uh, shout out to a few URLs that you might want to uh, toss out to people again. the Yeah, uh,
1: prospect.fyi. If you're looking for a job, check it out. You can search and sort by job function, company size, sector, business model, location. Um, but if you're also a company that's hiring and you're not currently listed on the platform, you can apply really easily at... Uh, on the
0: website. Excellent. Uh, If someone's looking for capital and uh, wants to speak with Golden,
1: reach out to me directly or anyone else from Golden Ventures. We generally don't accept applications directly from the website. It's really great to get a referral as well. We just want to know that you know someone uh, that we know it's the best way to get in front of our partners.
0: There you go. So drop by StartWell we'll have a chat we can connect you with thank
1: people. you so much for having me this was really fun my
0: pleasure <laughs> absolutely all right